Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll begin reading there at verse 15. You'll also find these verses on those notes that you just pulled out. Because I was confident of this, I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. Well, this summer, the sixth movie in the, in the big Harry Potter series is going to come out. Six movies. Can you imagine being J.K. Rowling at this stage? This lady has had unprecedented success in, in writing all these novels. And I don't know what you think about the whole series of Harry Potter novels, but whatever you believe about those novels... One thing that you have to acknowledge is that she has enjoyed this amazing ride as an author. She really has all of her books being made into movies. Interestingly, last summer, J.K. Rowling was asked to speak at Harvard University at their commencement ceremony. And she chose not to speak on the subject of success. Instead, she chose to speak on the subject of failure and how it was out of the failure of her plans to get ahead in life that the whole Harry Potter series came about. And I want to uh, read you some words that she told her Harvard audience last June. She said, you might not fail on the scale I did. But it's impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all. In which case, you fail by default. You will never truly know yourself or the strength of your relationships until both have been tested by adversity. Such knowledge is a true gift for it is painfully won and it has been worth more to me than any qualifications I have ever earned. Lots of us Americans are tasting failure right now. 
Some of us for the very first time. We're experiencing the failure of this education that we had, and it's no longer getting us the job that we hoped it would. We're losing jobs at an unprecedented rate. People are having their homes foreclosed upon and being put out onto the streets. Just this last week, I read in the morning newspaper how the the unemployment rate is creeping up to almost 8%. By summer, they're projecting 10%. One out of 10 people who, who are available for work are unable to find work in today's economy. And I don't know what your failures, what you feel your failures might have been in the past. It might not have anything to do with your work life or, or today's economy or your finances. Maybe it has some more, some more to do with your relationships, with other things that have gone on in your life. Maybe it's a, a health challenge. But whatever it might have been, I'm sure all of us can look back and say to ourselves, Wow, I really crashed in that moment. Can you think back to a time where you really felt like J.K. Rowling, where she says, it's impossible to live without failing at something. Well, here's the question that I want us to begin by asking ourselves this morning. Not so much to go back into the past and ask ourselves, when's the last time my plans failed miserably, where, where my plans lay in dust at my feet, they lay in ashes. I'd rather ask ourselves a question about the future. And if you'll pull out your crosswalk notes, here's the first key question I want us to ask ourselves this morning. When will the next time be? When my plans lie in ashes. You know how important it is for us to understand that even as Christ followers, our plans are not always going to work out the way that we intended. And to just have that understanding, that expectation that sometimes our human plans are not going to go just the way we intended. And here's the second key question. When that happens, whenever that next time occurs, where will I find hope when this occurs, when my plans lie in ashes? You know, it's never easy, is it, when carefully laid plans are, are shattered. In fact, it can be excruciatingly painful for us. But I want to take a look at a time when the Apostle Paul went through a very painful moment in his life. And it was a time when... He had to deal with plans that weren't working out the way that he thought they were going to. And yet, at the same time, while that was happening, he never lost his hope. He knew exactly where his hope lies. So exactly did he know it that when he writes to the book of Philippians, even though he's in a prison cell, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now think about that. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And as I read through, as you read through the epistles that Paul wrote, I think one of the biggest sources of his hope was simply what we studied last week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
amazingly, Paul is able to work the resurrection of Jesus Christ into all aspects of his life, into all of his decision-making and in all of his plans. And out of that, no matter what's going on in his life, no matter what his circumstances are, he's able to grab hold of the hope that the resurrection brings to him. So here's something for your crosswalk, crosswalk notes. Just like the Apostle Paul, we can incorporate Christ's resurrection into all our plans. And when we do that, we develop, we begin to develop a mindset of eventual victory. I want you to think a little bit, not only about Paul's plans, but before we dive into this segment of 2 Corinthians... How many times did it appear as if God's plants were lying in ashes down through history? Remember after Adam and Eve sinned, they broke God's law to them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How God came immediately to them and promised them that he would send them a Messiah, a Savior, someone to take away their sins and make sure they had forgiveness and that the world would be rescued through this person who would crush Satan's head. And God told them this Messiah would come to them through their descendants. And he began to develop that plan more and more fully. But think how many times along the way it looked like there would be no way for God's plan to ever be fulfilled. Right away with Cain and Abel. Cain taking away half of the human race through which this Messiah is supposed to come by murdering his own brother. Right? And then you go down through history. I'll just, I'll do some quick hits. What about Noah? A flood that wiped out the entire world and left eight people alive. What must the people have been thinking about God's plan when that happened? Or, or you think about Abraham, who was told, look, your descendants are going to look like the, the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. And through your descendants, Abraham, through your descendants, I will send the Savior of the world. And then what happens? No kids. Abraham and Sarah have no children. And you can march right down through the history in the Old Testament. And time after time, God kept reiterating this promise. And circumstances and situations seem to be saying, there is no way that this plan is going to be realized. And then all the reality of what we celebrated last weekend, right? Jesus... Born into a little manger, grows up, begins a ministry, lives his life perfectly in our place as our perfect substitute, and then takes that perfect life and sacrifices it willingly on the cross for your sins and mine. Good Friday. And in that moment of almost complete and utter apparent defeat at the cross... The disciples scatter in fear, don't they? What is going on here with this plan that God promised to enact? And then three days later, the most amazing end to the story. The surprise twist at the end where God takes his son and powerfully raises him back to life again to say, the victory is ours. 
my plans will always succeed. You see why the Apostle Paul would want to wrap that into everything that he did in his life? To, to, to know that history of how many times God's plans had, had lied, had, had lay in ashes, apparently, but yet in the end, the victory became his through the resurrection. And that's what's happening here in 2 Corinthians 2. I want to um, take you to some verses that come right before the text that I read to you earlier. If you have your Bibles with you, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And uh, I put this in your crosswalk notes too. Paul was going through some stuff, and I'll explain to you what that was in a moment. But look at what he says. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Then look what I bolded there. Who does what? Who raises the dead. What was he factoring in to everything that was going on? He was factoring in the resurrection. The God who raises the dead. 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. See, that's the lesson Paul was taking home. If, if God the Father could raise his own son from the dead... Well, he will deliver us too. On him we have set our hope that he will, and will you underline that word, continue to deliver us? Now, why does Paul say that he felt like they were under, under the, the sentence of death? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in his life. First of all, there was stuff going on bet- between him and the Corinthians. They were going back and forth because Paul had planted this congregation in a city that was not all that friendly culturally to the gospel at all. It was a city, a very commercial city filled with sin, with what the Bible calls licentiousness, which is just basically the belief that I have license to do whatever I please with immorality. And now Paul is saying, you know Jesus Christ. You know the forgiveness that you have. You know that he has changed your life from the way it was to this new way of living, of walking with him. Are you ready to truly live that way? And he's trying to develop them and get them to be more mature followers of Christ. But they keep slipping back. First Corinthians is, has all kinds of stuff in it about how they're engaging in sexual sin, how, they're, how there's infighting in the congregation, how uh, they're not very loving toward one another. And, he, and he's going after them directly for their growth and their development. And he's challenging them to really dig in. And unfortunately, there are some people there that take it the wrong way, that develop some hard feelings toward Paul, that begin to to challenge Paul himself, his apostleship, his ministry. And Paul writes several letters on this. We're reading the second letter to the Corinthians. There are even some scholars who believe that there are letters that he wrote that that we no longer have. Chapter 2, verse 1, talks about... A painful visit that he made to the Corinthians. So 
Clearly, he was even making special visits to them to try to iron this situation out. Now, while all that's going on over here, Paul is in this city called Ephesus. And he's preaching the gospel there, too. And there he's under a great deal of pressure. Because what he's preaching is that they should follow Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. And in Ephesus, there was this huge temple. This pagan temple to this goddess named Artemis. And there was this whole industry built up around this goddess. An industry in which there were shrines and and idols made out of silver and other metals. And the guild, what we might refer to today as the union, the craftsman union, got really angry at Paul for disrupting their whole line of business because people were starting to walk away from this goddess Artemis and begin to follow Jesus instead because of Paul's preaching of the gospel. And so they went on the attack. And they, they start this big riot in the city of, of Ephesus, a riot that eventually forces Paul out of the city. And that's why, now you think about both of these situations. He's juggling all this at once. And then I'm sure other things that we don't even know about. And notice what he says. I can go back even a little bit further. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation, he says in verse 6 of chapter 1. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Notice what he says in verse 8. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we even despaired of life. Isn't that real? Do you ever feel that way when your plans and your decisions don't seem to be working out? You feel under great pressure, far beyond your ability to endure? Well, where was Paul's hope in that? Where did he find hope in the midst of, of shattered plans? Well, first of all, he makes this clear. Now, I'm going to read the very first verses of our text. If you want to flip your crosswalk notes back over to page 1 and read along with me in verse 15. He says, Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Then he says in verse 17, When I planned this, Did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? You know that part of Paul's confidence is in the God who has cleansed his intentions. What I mean by that is this. When he says, do you know what my original plan was? My original plan was to come to you in Corinth from here in Ephesus and then go up north and visit some other churches and then come back and make a second visit to you before I depart again. He says, I've had to change that plan. I'm sorry for that change, but there are reasons for that change. And I want you to know that my intentions were pure. I never intended to be insincere or to do anything to hurt your faith at all. Look at that again. 
Notice what he's saying there. Verse 17, when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? What Paul's really saying is that we have a God who, when we follow him, has forgiven us. And in that forgiveness is also the power of a changed heart. You know, when, we, when, when plans get disrupted, you've experienced this, I'm sure, in your life. When plans get disrupted, how people can begin to question one another's intentions, right? Why did you change the plan? And, and you begin to think that, that that person has some sort of like twist that they're, they're trying to hurt you. I think about uh, the book, Love and Respect, even between married couples when plans change. And it, it talks about the crazy cycle, right? And in that crazy cycle, the author says in that book, Love and Respect, we begin to think that the person doesn't have, our own husband, our own wife doesn't even have good intentions toward us. And what Paul is saying here is, look, I had to change these plans. But it wasn't because I wanted to harm you. I had the best of intentions when when I did this. I was sincere in making these changes to my plans. And really what he's referencing is what he tells us also the Romans. I put this verse in your crosswalk notes, Romans 6, 17 and 18. The natural follow-on to the forgiveness we experience in Christ is also that, that Christ begins, not perfectly ever. Paul's also the one, by the way, who says, the good I want to do, I don't, and the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. But God begins to cleanse our hearts and our intentions. Look what he says in Romans six seventeen and 18. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You see, the resurrection is powerful, not only because it changes our status before God from sinner to innocent, But the resurrection is powerful because it also begins to work what the theologians call sanctification in our hearts. Begins to change our hearts so that they become more like Jesus' heart. So that they're sincere in their intent the way Jesus was sincere in his intent. I think that's so important for us to know when we go through changed plans in our lives, right? Because I'm telling you that you and I, we're going to be tempted to question one another's intentions when plans change. And, And what Paul is teaching us here is that Jesus can cleanse our intentions. When we have to change plans, when plans change on us, how important it is for us to tap back into that forgiveness that Jesus won for us on the cross and that the resurrection was guaranteed to us so that our hearts can be cleansed of impure motives, insincere intentions. And so that also when we're dealing with someone else, we can look at them and say, you know what? I'm going to do what Luther said when he explained the Eighth Commandment. And the Eighth Commandment, is, a, is about gossip. It's about not, uh, not saying wrong things about your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness. And Luther says, 
What this means in the positive sense is that we should take our neighbor's words and actions in the kindest possible way. In other words, that when somebody does something that changes the plans to us, try to take those words and actions as coming from a sincere heart with sincere intentions. So here's our first, here's our first point. The resurrection frees us, and it frees our neighbors too, from insincere, selfish motives and intentions. That's what Paul's saying here. I did not have insincere, selfish intentions when I changed these plans. You know why this is such a struggle? This is why I believe this is such a struggle in our world today. Is because we're not only fighting internally ourselves, we're fighting a whole world and a culture around us that is cynical. Would you agree with that? That we live in a cynical, distrustful world? If you struggle to agree with that, I want you to think about something big that happened on all the news this week. You familiar with the name Susan Boyle? 47 years old. Scottish lady. Single her whole life. Says she's never been kissed. She gets up on a stage in the UK. I'm sure you've heard this story already. And if you haven't, I'm going to put a link up. You need to go home and get on YouTube and watch this video. Susan Boyle gets up and The people in the audience are so cynical about this lady. They're rolling their eyes. Even the judges, Simon Cowell, all the judges are like, they're barely containing their cynicism about this lady. And then Susan Boyle opens her mouth. And out comes the most beautiful voice that you've ever heard, the voice of an angel. And she sings, I have a dream from Les Miserables. Amazing. And all of a sudden, people are just going, oh my goodness. Right? And here's, here's what the judges have to say. Pierce Morgan, one of the judges, says this. Without a doubt, that was the biggest surprise I've had in three years of this show. When you stood there, with a cheeky grin and said, I want to be like Elaine Page. Everyone in this audience was laughing at you. He told her that. No one is laughing at you now, though, he said. That was stunning and incredible performance. Judge Amanda Holden said, I'm so thrilled because I know that everybody was against you, Susan. I honestly think that we were all being very cynical. I think that's the biggest wake-up call ever. It was a complete privilege listening to that. It was brilliant. So here we are fighting the inner cynicism of our sinful nature. Fighting the cynicism of a sinful world all around us. And where are we going to find hope Instead of a cynical attitude, when our plans get shattered. Well, can I read a little bit further in 2 Corinthians? Verse 18. 
But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. You want to know what the answer to a cynical, sinful nature in a cynical world is? It's very simple, Paul says. It is the faithful, steady love of Jesus Christ, your Savior. I was talking to a person this week who was, who was uh, mentioning a friend. And he said this friend of his grew up in a home where the love of her parents was like this. And then he motioned with his arms like this, up and down. And he said, I feel bad. I feel so bad for my friend because I grew up in a house where the love was like this. And then he motioned again with his hands like this. It was steady. It was faithful. It was, it was smooth. It was always there. And that's what Paul is saying about the love of Jesus Christ for you and for me and for the entire world, this entire cynical, sin-filled world, Jesus' love for it is steady and faithful. It is not yes and no. Paul says, in Christ, all of God's promises are yes. They are steady. They are firm. And, and we can confirm that from everything we know. In the Bible, I put some passages in your crosswalk notes. Look at what it says, for example, in the book of Psalms 108. David, the author of this psalm, says to, to God, For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your faithfulness, that love, reaches to the skies, and it is there. And then in the book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews says this, your Savior, your Lord, Jesus Christ, he's not up and down. His love is not up and down. It is steady and firm. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is unwavering in his love for you, in his forgiveness for you. Isn't it awesome that each Sunday when we come here to church, we can lay our sins before Jesus Christ and know what answer we are going to hear? Know that, that we're not going to hear, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if you did enough this week to earn Jesus' love. Hold on just a second. You actually think that just by admitting, acknowledging, and confessing your sins, you're going to hear they're forgiven? What are you thinking? And isn't it awesome to know that God's love is not like that? It's like that. And that he promises that when we acknowledge our sins and lay them out openly before him, 
They have already been forgiven at the cross where Jesus wore them on his shoulders, bore them in his body, the Bible tells us, on a tree. And the proof of that pudding is the resurrection three days later. And that's how the apostle Paul factors the resurrection into everything. He says, look, when when my plans, when these plans between you and me, Dear Corinthians, my brothers and sisters in Christ, when they're not working out the way I want, when I have to go north instead of south to start with, when our feelings are raw and hurt, and we're we're concerned about one another's intentions toward one another, let's focus away from that for a moment and get back to Jesus and his rock-solid love for you which is faithful and steady and is there at all times. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. So here's our second point. Cynicism, that cynical, sinful attitude can be overcome when we know that the resurrection teaches us that we have an unwavering, faithful Savior who forgives us every day and who loves us every day. Now Paul makes his final point about shattered plans. In the very last verses, verse 21, I want to reread a portion that I already read. Now it is God, Paul concludes, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. When plans are shaky, Paul says, God is able to make you stand firm. And it is by faith that we stand firm. How important it is for us to understand that when, when, when we need to have that unshakable faith in Christ, that he, his love is faithful and his forgiveness is there, even that part's not up to us. Isn't that awesome to know? Just the way Paul starts that out. It is God who makes you stand firm. You want to have an unshakable, firm faith? Don't look inside and try to manufacture that. Try to work up your emotions and your thoughts and and be more faith-filled on your own power. Paul says it's God who is able to make you stand firm in your faith. And Paul consistently, when his people were worried about the strength of their faith, directed them right back here which is where the Holy Spirit is right back to the word and the sacraments because it is through these that the Holy Spirit will make your faith and mine stand firm he redirects them right back not only to these but to the container of these the church too he says look get back to being one 
When he wrote to the Ephesians, he said, look, you have one faith, one God, one Lord over all, one baptism. And so make every effort to keep the unity. Don't, don't lose the fellowship that you have with fellow believers gathered around this book, gathered around the sacraments. It's so important that we be unified And Paul even says, as we're unified in the faith, then we're going to grow in the faith and become more mature. That's why he's fighting so hard for these Corinthians. Do you see? He's writing these letters. He's making these special trips and visits. Why? Because he's making every effort to make sure the unity is maintained. Unity around the word and the sacraments. Unity that would allow them to keep maturing in their faith. The very last thing that he writes to the Corinthians in his first letter to them, I put in your crosswalk notes. Look at what he says. Be on your guard, he writes in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. And then... In Ephesians chapter 4 that I mentioned to you a moment ago, Paul writes this, and I'm going to start a little bit before the verse that that I put in the crosswalk notes for you. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And then here's the part I put in your notes. Until we all reach unity... Circle that word unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In short, Paul wanted his people to be unified with him and with each other. And in that unity, he wanted them to develop maturity. Deep roots. And is the resurrection connected to, do, to that too? Absolutely. Just think about how those disciples did scatter when the, when the death of Jesus occurred, right? And, and what happened when Jesus rose from the grave three days later? It reunified those disciples. And they began to really grow firm in their faith. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And that brought them even more together, more unified, and made them even firmer in their faith. So when plans are shattered, the third thing Paul says is, get together with your fellow believers, gather around this word and the sacraments, access the Holy Spirit who will make you firm in your faith when life is shaky, when plans are shattered. You need the Spirit in the word and sacraments, and you need your fellow believers to strengthen and encourage you. Here's our third and final point. The resurrection in the midst of shattered plans enables you and me to stand firm and to stand together. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk. Will you take a look at those this week? I want you to ask yourself, how can I develop the kind of victory mindset that Paul had? That that said, if, if God's plans can work out, 
my plans will work out just the way God wants them to. And I will, be, I will have the victory in the end. Incorporate the victory of Christ's resurrection into all your plans and decisions. Another thing about standing together and growing, choose a, a growth group in the next couple of weeks. Get signed up. It's a great way to stand firm and stand together at Crosswalk. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.